0: Amen. Thank you, Danny. Um, The Lent season, as as we approach it and as we get ready for uh, this period of time between uh, Christmas, marching us on to Easter, uh, we think hard about what this means and what God has in mind for us. The the word Lent, or the, the bigger word Lenten, comes from an old English word that meant to lengthen. And I don't know if you're like me, during this time of year, especially once we get past the longest night of the year, back in December, I anticipate the days getting longer. And I want longer days. I like longer days. Maybe you like longer days too. Donna works long shifts. She works 12-hour shifts as a nurse. And we gauge the length of the day based on whether or not she's leaving in the dark or coming home in the dark. And of course, that all changes with Daylight Savings Time, but it's a good day when we realize that when she's leaving, it's light. And when she comes home, it's light. It's almost as if God has structured time, our calendar, and even the, the orbits of the celestial bodies that, that we would arc our lives toward light. And I lean toward the light. I want, I want longer days. I want warmer days. And Lenten season uh, takes us that direction, as the days lengthen. Lent is the length that it is because of the temptation of Jesus. So not long after Jesus was baptized, very quickly after the fact, he, after that he went off into the wilderness, the Gospels tell us, to be... Well, the, the real word is examined... To be tested or to be tempted is how it's translated, but it really means to be examined, that he would have his heart examined by what would be the common thing for all people. Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways, the same as we are, yet he was without sin, and so the beginning of that happens when Jesus goes off into the wilderness and so he does. Matthew tells the story, several of the gospels do, but we'll use Matthew's words to get us there. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, Matthew says the most obvious thing in the world, right? He was he was hungry. I just have to skip breakfast and I feel that way. But Jesus now he was hungry. I don't know if you ever go shopping when you're hungry. Uh, And your cart looks a little different when you uh, walk into the grocery store with hunger pains. Jesus was in a spot where his 40 days was over, his 40 nights was over, and he had fasted for this time. So maybe you grew up in a church tradition that included Lent as a part of it. And If you did, then you remember giving up some things for Lent. Maybe you gave up desserts, or you gave up chocolate, or you gave up something else that you enjoyed, but the idea that you were taught, maybe, is that you would give up something that you wanted to make room for God, or to practice self-denial, or to engage in saying no to something so you could say yes to God the length of our Lent season is 40 days. And if you have a calendar and you've counted the days, then you feel like there's like a six-day tax there. Normally during the Lent season, whatever you give up or whatever method you've employed to observe Lent is foregone or not taken part of every Sunday. So let's say you give up uh, something precious to you, you would then get to enjoy that thing on Sunday, but then you start over all again on Monday and go another six days and then take Sunday off. When you take Sundays off between Ash Wednesday and the Saturday right before Resurrection Sunday on Easter, it's 40 days and 40 nights, the same thing that Jesus experienced. Now, one of my favorite authors. His, his name is Henry Nowen. And he wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus. And he describes these temptations in unique ways. And I want to use his words to describe the temptations and for us to think a little bit about the Lent season for us. Whether you're giving something up or you're just making a move towards the cross or you're just trying to walk with a, a deeper awareness of who God is and what he's called you to do. Um, I think it might be helpful. And so the first temptation that Jesus experiences happens immediately according to the Gospel of Matthew. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become what? Bread. So not a low-carb diet, right? Is what he had in mind. This is the tempter who knows that Jesus is hungry. So now when I read his book the first time probably 20 years ago, Uh, He uses words to describe these temptations that caught my attention because I didn't understand them. And he seemed far more spiritual than I, and he seemed much wiser than I. He had lived longer than me, and he works with, at the time that I remember reading the book, with uh, people who experience special needs in their lives, and so I thought his wisdom is important to me. And here's what he says about this temptation. He says that Jesus experienced the temptation to be relevant, relevant. I remember reading that, and it was when church was trying to be relevant to the world around us. And I thought, is relevant being a sin? What what does this mean, this temptation to be relevant? And the more I read his words and his explanation, it's pretty clear what he means. Jesus was tempted to take this stone, which is of no use to a hungry man, of no nourishment to somebody who has an empty stomach, and turn it into something useful. That's what Jesus was tempted to do. And now one says that one of the greatest temptations for followers of Jesus is to be useful to the people around them, to be of use so that we have some worth that we can claim, some reason that we're here to justify our existence in some way, so that we can say, I belong here, I've earned my keep, see that I am worth being your friend or your employee or your spouse or your dad or your child, I am worth something. And I'm worth something because I'm not a useless stone, I'm of nourishment or of help or something, the longer I have pondered Nalan's word to be relevant, the more I understand the depth of what he's asking followers of Jesus to lean into. Could it be that one of the hardest things for me and you is to stand before God empty-handed, confessing that we really don't know what our worth is except that his love is enough, except that his sacrifice means that we're forgiven? That we have been brought into a relationship with him, not because we're holy, not because we're righteous, not because we have earned our way or even earned our keep. The temptation to be relevant says, I want to be useful to the people around me. Is that good? Of course it's good. But inside of that desire needs to be something that we open-handedly let to go. That we say we bring to God just ourselves. And we stand before him in a way that says, we have nothing, nothing of worth to bring except who he made us to be. This first temptation to be relevant, he's hungry, turn these stones to bread. And this is how Jesus replies. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, every time Jesus is tempted he responds with scripture every time every time Jesus is drawn to come away from the path that God has prescribed for him and written for him he responds with a quotation from God's word that corrects the lie with truth every time so what does Jesus mean when he says man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think he's saying two very important things. There are good things, bread is good. It's good to eat bread, you can't live on it alone. There are good things, but there are first things. In other words, you can have a career and try to find significance, And try to find relevance or try to find meaning or success, but you will not find what you need unless you have a focus on the first things. And what are the first things? The first things are who you are made in the image of, where your identity is focused, who you are becoming as you allow yourself to feast on, live on, and devour every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the temptation that he faced first. Here's the second one. The devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, he said, then just throw yourself down. This moment, Jesus experiences a temptation. The temptation is the temptation, now one says, to be spectacular, spectacular. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as spectacular. But I can tell you that you likely have occasionally thought of yourself as average and that feeling wasn't a good feeling. No one aspires to be average except me when I'm in math class and I just, just aspired just to barely pass, right? Just to eke out with a grade that I could just check that box and move on. But none of us in our everyday lives in our parenting or our careers or in our relationships with other people, do we aspire to be average? This was a temptation that Satan laid in front of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, do something so spectacular that you will receive all the attention that you desire, do something that will create applause. Do something that will capture the imagination of people and you will stand out among your peers in such a way that you will get the credit that you deserve. I mean, you are the son of God. You are the manager of all those people. You do run this entire thing. You do have this budget. You are the best in the sales department. You are. And if you are, then this is how you should act and this is how you should behave. It's a temptation that every one of us will face when we find ourselves among peers and we judge ourselves among them and we want to, at the end of that judgment, at the end of that assessment, come out at least a little bit better than most of the people around us. Maybe spectacular is too big of a word, but at least above average. And above average means, well, we have engaged in the business that Jesus condemned when he said, do not judge. The temptation is to grade us up on the curve and find ourselves ahead of the game. Better than her, better than him. When Jesus experiences this, He looks at the tempter and says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is his response. And then Satan begins to move on to the next temptation. This is the third one. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and if you will worship me. This temptation that he faces is this temptation. It's the temptation to be powerful or in control. It's almost as if the first two didn't get it done. And so Satan says, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to combine your desire to be relevant or useful with your desire to be spectacular. And if we can at least marry those two, and we'll call this power... We'll call this control. The pull that you and I have to controlling our own life is so immense, it's so strong. We want to say that we will be master of our own domain, controlling our own destiny, that we get to choose, that we get to pick. This is the same temptation that Satan puts in front of Jesus. Look, if you will, call something Lord that is not Lord, then you can have control over your life and you can do the same thing. All you have to do is name it. What would it be? It could be relationship, currency. It could be social awareness. It could be money. It could be your career. It could be your standing among your neighbors. It could be any number of things that you elevate above your desire to know who God is. And the moment you do that, it does put you in control. For a moment, you do get to pick and choose. And then you will have gained the whole world, and as Jesus says to one man, and forfeited your very soul. And so, in response to this temptation, this temptation to be powerful, Jesus simply says this Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now these these temptations, they represent temptations that we deal with every day. And sometimes we pass the test, the examination, and sometimes we fail. The good news of the gospel is that when we fail, we wear the righteousness of Christ. And so we find ourselves not in a place of shame, not in a place of even regret, We find ourselves in a place of learning and understanding the depth of God's grace for us. The difference between religion and our relationship with God is night and day, vastly different. And so during Lent, our hope and our desire is to move toward this truth. Well, we worship, in fact, we, we give our attention to, we give our heart, open our hands to, we bow our knee to only one only the Lord your God, and we serve him only. So during Lent, our hope is to maybe add a practice into our life or remove a habit or desire or dependence in our life so that we make room for God to do his work. Most of us would never willingly engage in loss. Over the last year, you have lost many things, some of us have lost friends or family members. Some of us have lost freedom, jobs, finances, opportunity, travel, experiences, all manner of things. Most people I know that have engaged in thoughtful discipleship or pursuing God with their heart and mind over the last year have found those losses to be teachers or disciplers that have helped us understand where we need God more, where we have relied on wrong things and how we can more thoughtfully surrender to him. And so Lent is us saying that very same thing but not having it imposed on us by a lockdown or somebody else or some external rules. It's by us choosing the thing that causes us to walk a narrow, uphill, rocky path. And we say... We believe that God is found when we lose ourselves. So maybe there's a piece of yourself that you'd like to lay down as you go through Lent. Maybe there's a piece or a habit or uh, something to engage in that you would like to pick up or add to your life as a a way of saying, this is how I'm going to pursue you, God. Tonight you'll get a chance to participate in a couple of acts of worship while we Engage in worship as a group, and online you'll get to do the same thing as well. While Danny leads us in worship, in just a moment, you'll get an opportunity to uh, impose or or apply ashes uh, from burnt palm leaves. So, out in the lobby, uh, there are communion cups that uh, you know, the kind we used to use pre COVID, and they're in communion trays. And in the bottom of each of these communion cups, there are some ashes and some oil that's there. And so normally, we would apply these ashes to your forehead. Um, but tonight, you get to do that either to yourself, if you like, or if you're with somebody else, you can engage in that as well and and help each other out in that way. Uh, but all you'll simply do is... Take your finger and push it down to the bottom of that cup and you'll stir that oil and ash together just a little bit more and then you'll apply it to your forehead and the sign of a cross. These ashes remind us and the reason why we engage in this habit, this strange custom that we don't see at any other time. These ashes remind us of the scriptures that say from ashes to ashes and dust to dust, These ashes remind us of our mortality. They remind us that life is temporary and that we are here, as James would say, but for a vapor, a mist, and and then gone. These ashes remind us that our time is short. And if you've experienced what I have during COVID, then it's really the same experience I, we had when the boys were little, when we you know, were so engaged in, in raising them and, and the activities of it, and especially when they were really young, didn't sleep all through the night, or maybe very active, getting used to a bed or something like that. We had the same thoughts and the same feeling, and it sounded something like this, where the days are long, but the years are short. And this is true for me, and it's true for you. And so the ashes that you might choose to wear on your forehead, or at home, something similar on your forehead reminds you viscerally, visually, that you and I were mortal, and time is short. You'll also have a chance to take communion as well. And the communion that's available for you, they're on these three tables in the middle of the room. You'll see them near the corners of the table. They're the communion... Um, uh, elements that we've been using on Sundays here at Castle Oaks the the top peels back and there's a small piece of bread and then another layer peels back and the juice is there and you can take it near the table you can take it right back to your seat or another seat the room is large and there's space for you to ponder and to reflect and so we're going to sing three songs after I pray And you can get up quickly, you can sit and worship for a bit, you can get up at the end, you can, we'll stick around all night as long as you want to be here praying and reflecting. Um, And take your time with communion, and the ashes, and then when Danny's done, I'll come up and lead us in a benediction. And again, you can stay and engage in those things as long as you would like. Here's our hope for you here's my hope for me, for all of us, our whole church, whether we're dispersed or folks that are watching from various places, is that we would take this man-made, contrived, if you will, liturgical calendar and allow it to be a tool that we can use to push us closer to God, that we may hear His voice, that we may sense His presence, that we may love more deeply, That we may live open handedly, that we would resist the temptations to make ourselves relevant to a world, that we would be willing to stand in front of our friends and neighbors and co workers and family and be completely irrelevant except for the love of God, that we would resist the temptation to be spectacular, that As we engage and are aware of that temptation, we recognize that it is pushing ourselves up on the talents of others, and we do not desire to do that. What we desire is to lift others up and allow them to be highlighted. And that we would resist the temptation to engage in power games and control games with our life. That we would allow God to control every step that we take, and that we would be more fully surrendered to him And as we resist these temptations throughout the season of Lent, we walk this road of the cross to the crucifixion, knowing that just around the bend is resurrection life, new life. And so right now we come to you as humble men and women and children. We come to you with our hands open and surrendered to you. And we ask that as these lyrics are sung, as we... Move about this room as folks here in, in Castle Rock and in various places in this metro area, and even a few that are dispersed even further, as they are actually gathering with us all together in spirit, that they would, that we would seek you in fervent ways. Lord, these ashes remind us of our mortality. And the communion we take reminds us of eternity. And so in the two elements that we'll experience tonight, we see both truths held in tension. That it's true, this life is short and we are mortal. But you have made us in your image and we will spend eternity with you. And so both of these exercises remind us of truths that need to be held deep within our hearts so that we can walk this earth faithfully and anticipate eternity with you. And so we ask as we move about this place and worship you in thoughtful reflection that you would be honored and that you would be, you would be praised. So meet us here right now in this moment.